This is Under Understood. Hello, everybody. Hi, Regina. Hello. Hi. I promise that was the only time I'll use my MC voice. That was your MC voice. <laughs> <laughs> it felt really over the top to me. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Why am I MCing, you ask? Because it's a end of the year episode. Woo! Yeah. Today's show is a two for one situation. You know, we've got uh, two small segments instead of one big one. Just a, a grab bag, gift bag, stocking stuffed with stories. End of the year, a little bit of story cleanup. Mm-hmm. Two little nuggets that couldn't be full length episodes. So we'll smush them together in the show stocking. We should also say if you've never listened to this show before, so this might be a weird place to might be a weird place to start uh, on our website on underunderstood.com. We have a section called Start Here where you can find some of our favorites. Not not that this won't be a favorite. We just don't know yet. <laughs> so you may remember I started the last episode with a question that came from Trivial Pursuit, the mm-hmm. hilarious family friendly board game. Is this another story about Trivial Pursuit? It is a story about Trivial Pursuit. So we did that story that was about the question about a boy band that was commissioned to write a song for NASA. And that episode prompted a listener named Andrew to write in through the website. And Andrew wrote, I think we're all wondering who comes up with Trivial Pursuit questions now. Mm. I bet the process is a world away from Laffy Taffy jokes. <laughs> Meaning that they assume that it's much more formalized. And not user generated. Yeah. And yeah, probably like verified in some way. Okay. Does anyone want to guess how many questions are in a typical Trivial Pursuit game? 407. Aren't there like six per card or something like that? There are six categories, yeah, and every card has a question for each category. Oh, man. So we're looking at like 900 questions in a deck? Well, the edition of Trivial Pursuit that I was playing had 3,600 questions. Oh, my God. Wow. So that seems pretty typical for a mainline Trivial Pursuit game. They also have spinoffs and travel packs and like niche editions that have 600 questions, it seems like. Uh, There's Book Lovers, National Parks, Rick and Morty. (laughs) It's a lot. There is a website called TriviaBliss.com that claims to have the, quote, ultimate list of every Trivial Pursuit version ever created. I will put this list in Slack, and I will link to it in the show notes. So if you look at this list, there are over 100 North American editions and mini packs, plus the international editions and apps and other spin-offy things. So altogether we're talking about tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of questions that had to be written for the Trivial Pursuit franchise. This is a 277 editions of Trivial Pursuit. Right. Again, some of those are smaller. They're like a couple hundred questions. It seems like the standard sizes are like 3000 plus or 600. But anyway, it's a lot of questions, so Where did they come from? I could not find any official answer to this. I could not find any job listings for Trivial Pursuit researchers. I emailed Hasbro, which owns Trivial Pursuit. No response from them. 
But I did get to talk to somebody who has been a Trivial Pursuit writer and project manager for nearly 12 years. Oh. His name is Darren King. Hello. This is Darren. Darren is originally from Sydney. I'm a freelance journalist. I've been living in New York for the past uh, nearly 10 years now. I found him because of a blog post he wrote on his website, which I will link to in the show notes. You know, my job is normally asking questions of interviewees, but this is Hasbro gig is a kind of a weird appendage of that same impulse, you might call it. So he stumbled into this Trivial Pursuit gig back in 2010. It just came out of a friend of a friend who had a connection at Hasbro and, and thought of me. What was the application or vetting process like? Um, pretty easy. <laughs> they, I mean, I just assured them that I was a, a writer. I think that was the most important thing. And, uh, you know, a curious person. And uh, I, I just, I didn't mess it up, I guess. <laughs> what does it take to be good at writing questions? Um, having a lot of time on your hands to go trawling Wikipedia, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) The ultimate source of truth. It's similar to what it takes to uh, make this podcast. I'm going to take six months off and just let this guy step in for me. I mean, I'm I'm a pretty curious person, so I, I will, you know, gladly go down crazy rabbit holes about... Uh, I don't know, um, architectural styles of the 19th century or, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's mm-hmm. back catalogue and, and things like that. Ugh. So uh, that's a fun way to spend my time and having a sort of bowerbird-like instinct um, for the the perfect little fact, the interesting fact, um, I think, is what it really comes down to. I think you've got to be a good writer as well. You've got to know how to craft um, a question without any sort of superfluous words and uh, make it a little bit witty if you can. Unfortunately, Darren said it's not a really great way to actually learn anything. You are consuming it and spitting it out at such a speed that you don't actually have time to absorb the actual knowledge. Have you ever had a moment where your trivial pursuit research did come in handy like a like a slumdog millionaire situation and i wish i could say yes honestly it really it really hasn't it it like i i've learned nothing um i i can talk about the job in general terms but if you ask me for a fact a single fact that i have picked up in my 10 plus years of writing questions i would say i got, I got nothing I've actually got nothing. Wow. I relate to that on a certain level. Yeah, me too. So the way it works is, you know, it's project-based. Hasbro will call for some number of questions for a project, and they usually overshoot. So, like, they need 2,000 questions. They commission 2,020 questions. The project manager assigns between 150 to 500 questions per writer. So, for example, if I've got writers working for me, um, so I'll get a you know a couple of hundred questions from a writer, and then I'll edit them to make sure that they're actually readable, and then that'll go to a fact checker who will um, you know spend a lot of time making sure that every single fact is strictly accurate and factual, 
Um, and that includes sort of other facts within the question as well, because, you know, a good question isn't just the, the thing that's being asked. There's references to a whole bunch of other things um, in the question. So that's a bit of an involved process. And then it goes to another proofreader. And then there's another stage where you just make sure that the, the balance of the questions on a card is, uh, is right and there's not too much um, overlap in, in the, the categories, for example. Writers get paid for every question they write, but they do not get paid for rewrites and fact fixes. So there's an incentive to get it right the first time. And in the end, most of the questions get used. Darren even told me that Hasbro doesn't mind if questions or topics get repeated between editions, so there's no need to check for duplicates. Are the standards different for like the branded ones, like the McDonald's? Darren said the process is pretty much the same, just with an added extra layer of approval for questions. So you're saying the whole team for these is entirely freelance, including the editors? It seems that way, yeah. That's wild to me. This type of work is very commonly done by freelancers. Lots of freelancer fact checkers, lots of freelance editors out there. Like, it seems like the quality control, both from, like, editorially, like, the editor, but also, like, fact-checking and uh, checking for plagiarism, making sure these weren't just, like, wholesale ripped from another trivia resource. Yeah. There was a lawsuit from this guy named Fred Worth, who had a trivia encyclopedia, and that one was interesting because... He accused the Trivial Pursuit guys in like 1984 of copying a ton of questions from his trivia properties. Mm -hmm. And he said he had put in a fake answer in his encyclopedia to catch anyone who was plagiarizing. And the fake answer was, or the fake question was, uh, what was Columbo's first name? And the fake answer was Philip. What's the real answer? Christopher? I was going to say Chris. Jumbo. Jumbo Columbo, yeah. Never explicitly revealed in the series. However, when Columbo flashes his badge in the episode Deadweight, season one, episode three, the name Frank can clearly be seen on his ID. (laughs) This is from IMDb. Who knows? Wow. Anyway, so this lawsuit, the judge ended up ruling in favor of the Trivial Pursuit guys, and it was appealed, and they still won. On what grounds? On just that, like, you can't you can't own facts? Uh, yeah, that it wasn't copyrightable. Yeah, because, like, I feel like you could argue, like, the curation is what is copyright. Like, it's the collecting of them and curating them. It also seems like a dangerous precedent for Trivial Pursuit to set as, like, the owners of large collections of facts to to have a lawsuit that basically says you can take one large collection of facts and translate it into another large collection of facts and that's totally fine. You would think that would be against their interests um, and they, w- they would be more content to just like settle, give some large amount of money to this person to make them go away and yeah. leave open the option that in the future if someone does that to them that they could sue them. Maybe they weren't thinking that far ahead in 1984. Well, I'm just saying, so now we can, maybe we make our make own. Make a more fun version. Yeah, we yeah. make our like own spinoff. We just have under-understood trivia, and it's just the additions from Trivial Pursuit just rewritten slightly. No, I think we changed the gameplay a little bit, you know? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's uh, Twister and Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> Come on. Oh, God, no. So the plaintiff 
Fred Worth contends that 1,675 questions in the genus edition were taken from Super Trivia 1, 1,293 questions in the Silver Screen edition were taken from Super Trivia 1 and or 2, and 828 questions in the Baby Boomer edition were taken from Super Trivia 1 and or 2. These are his encyclopedias. There's a Baby Boomer edition? Yeah, there's like an edition for everything. So the defense basically said, yeah, we consulted these books, but we also consulted lots of other sources, and we didn't copy our questions. It was just one of the references that we used when we wrote our own questions. So you can see how they could argue that this is not copyright violation. So this is like uh, an entry in the book, Abel, comma, Colonel Rudolph. Russian spy exchanged February 10, 1962 for F. Gary Powers, comma, U-2 pilot. The Trivial Pursuit game card says, question, what Russian spy was exchanged for U-2 pilot Gary Powers in 1962? Answer, Rudolf Abel. Right, so it's not plagiarism. It's just the same information. It's not word for word. But this did get me thinking about sources. Are there, is there a list of approved sources, like... I do keep on mentioning Wikipedia, but actually that we, we can't use that as a source. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have to find reliable primary sources wherever possible. Um, so, you know, .org websites, um, you know, official histories, um, actual physical encyclopedias. Um, yeah, we, we, we would not go to, for example, IMDB um, for any information because, uh, you know, of the user-generated aspect, so we take that very seriously. I told Darren about the natural episode. In the end, it was like, the question leaves you with maybe a possibly inaccurate impression, but technically, the wording of the question was correct, so... Well, that would get flagged. If I was running that ship, I would flag that question as as not strictly accurate, I guess, or, or giving a misleading impression. That's the kind of thing that should be really flagged for sure. Well, let me read you the question. I'll tell you what we found. What boy band did NASA admit they'd hired to write a song about the International Space Station and perhaps microgravity in 2001? So. Well, no idea. <laughs> the band was called Natural. And uh, okay. so we ended up talking to the band and finding, hunting down this trail. And a couple things about this question. So NASA did say officially that they were commissioning this song there were a couple articles that said they had commissioned it a couple articles that said they were planning to commission it it ended up that it was the project died at some point because of the columbia shuttle disaster Mm -hmm. and it never got written uh and then the quote international space station and perhaps microgravity was that was one person speculating about what the song might be about, someone from NASA. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the the question was yeah. like, it was pretty tight, I think. Like, I think it passes a technical fact check. I would ask whether anyone has any chance of actually knowing that fact. Like, it's an interesting thing, but I would probably fail it because of that. I, I would try to find a way to recast that question um, so that... Maybe the answer was just, you know, a boy band. And maybe a multiple choice question where you had three different options of, like, who did NASA want to send to space at this point, you know? 
I spoke to a member of the band who said that his sister had been playing Trivial Pursuit and came across this question was like, I know this. And I thought, God, that's got to be the only person who has ever gotten this question right. <laughs> yeah. So Trivial Pursuit also gets a lot of scrutiny. People who are into trivia are the people who will nitpick the specifics of a fact. <laughs> and this is especially true when you get into these niche subcategory packs for, you know, like fandoms of Lord of the Rings. Star Trek. Collab yeah. with Trivial Pursuit Star Wars. Right. These are the type of fans that would fight with the creator of the thing about facts about the thing, you know? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I came across an old thread of of people arguing about the questions in the Doctor Who edition, for example. Oh, yeah. God. I'll drop this in Slack. I don't even want to click the link. <laughs> Seems tedious. So this person writes, let's see, what's their username? Oh, and it's called Not So Trivial Errors. Joe Keck or Keckles. Yeah, so the title of the thread is Not So Trivial Errors. This person wrote, my findings. Out of the 600 questions on 100 cards, I found only three major errors. 19 <laughs> minor errors, including a couple typos. 180 questions about classic Doctor Who. 330 questions about new Doctor Who. 18 questions that concern both old and new Doctor Who. 72 questions that really have nothing to do with Doctor Who, None, most of which require you to be familiar with shows that have never aired outside the UK. Oh, God. Uh, okay. The three major errors are... Uh. The question was, which two doctors often wore bow ties? The answer was 11th and 3rd. However, according to this internet poster, the second doctor also wore a bow tie regularly. Well, I do feel like often is like an arbitrary thing. Like, often wears bow ties. Like, that feels hard. Yeah, that's a fact checker hedge. The fact checker's like, look, we can do it, but you need to say often. <laughs> Question, what extraterrestrial martial art was the third doctor fond of using? Answer, Venusian Aikido. Correct, but he also called it Venusian Karate Jesus on at least one Christ. occasion. How is that a major oh. error? <laughs> like, Question. What is this person's filter? By the way, I should have mentioned that this thread is on BoardGameGeek.com. Sure. The third major error... Question, which are the only two doctors not to have come face-to-face -face with the Cybermen? Answer, the eighth and the ninth. The third doctor did not have a full adventure with them, but met them in the five doctors. Correction. The third doctor and the Cybermen were both in the five doctors, but they most definitely never came, quote, face-to-face -face and never actually, quote, met. Also, the ninth doctor literally oh came face-to-face -face with the Cybermen in Henry von Staten's museum, although it was only a head in a glass case. <laughs> Plus, the show only shows a portion of the Doctor's life. Oh Three, God. eight, and nine probably all met the Cybermen oh, at some point yeah. in their lives, but well, we never saw it. <laughs> yeah, what's going on exist. off camera? I can't. But I know I, what the game means. They're just referring to televised adventures. Yeah, of course. Well, they are. Yeah, obviously, because it's about a television show. Because <laughs> no, literally, nothing happened to him outside of the show. Right? Like, He's I, not real. I don't understand. <laughs> like, well, if you think about their backstory, it's like if it's not in the show. And if you consider the possibility of a multiverse, all of them have met each other in an infinite number of permutations. <laughs> okay, so this person writes my verdict. All in all, I'd say it's worth the sixteen dollars I paid for it. And more than that is a ripoff. <laughs> not worth seventeen dollars. Yep. Okay, but Trivial Pursuit does sometimes have legitimate factual errors. Like, here are some examples. 
Here's a question Darren wrote about that had an inaccurate answer. Question. What did climber Aaron Ralston lose at a mountaineering trip in Blue John Canyon? His life. The guy who lost his arm? His virginity. Uh Uh-huh. The Trivial Pursuit card said... No, what Eugenia said. (laughs) Oh. The Trivial Pursuit card said his lower left arm. However, it was his lower right arm. Oh, that's blatant. Mm -hmm. Here's another one people argue about. Um, Okay, so this is a pretty early one that is cited a lot as a Trivial Pursuit fumble. Which Roman emperor was murdered in 44 BC? The game's answer is Julius Caesar, but he wasn't an emperor. His son was the first emperor of Rome. What was he, technically? He was a a dictator or imperator. He had a different title. He just pronounced emperor differently. I know, yeah. It's squishy. It's a little squishy. And then here's another one people like to argue about. What became the first mass-produced game-playing console with a built-in hard drive and broadband capabilities in 2001? Xbox. Uh, the Dreamcast. Atari. Oh, Dreamcast didn't have a hard drive. It had an Ethernet jack. Oh, well, yeah, the technical answer would be like a PC long before that. Trivial Pursuit's answer is GameCube. What? It doesn't have a hard drive. Yeah, it doesn't have a, yeah, it does. Okay. That's really weird because they described an Xbox exactly and got the wrong answer. That's really weird. So the thing is the GameCube came out one or two months before Xbox. But and I haven't fact-checked this, so don't come for me. <laughs> People say the GameCube did not have a built-in hard drive. Xbox had a built-in hard drive. It feels like like a fact-checking error. Like somebody wrote it for the Xbox, but then they changed right. it to GameCube because they were like, right. oh, it came out a month before, you know, Possibly. without thinking to check the details. Yeah. So I decided to uh, ask Darren for a job. <laughs> so is it all freelancers who are writing these? Um, pretty much. I mean, that's who I was working with. People who had... Other jobs, so um, I knew some journalists, fellow journalists, um, just some people who were similarly curious about the world, um, who who knew how to write as well. Um, so yeah, it's just it was kind of like a side gig for a, for a lot of people. How do you get this gig? How do I get this? I will uh, let you know if any projects come along because they are quite few and far between. Right, so I worked on one this year, but it, before this year it was uh, it was I don't know it was almost like three or four years since the last one. Um, so yeah, it's not like a an everyday job for sure. Yeah, so in three years, when Trivial Pursuit does their next project, I am just going to do all questions about Cool Ranch and <laughs> Mix Nuts and. Blue toilet seats. We need an under-understood edition. Or like a podcast edition or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Andrew, for the question. Andrew also wanted me to find, by the way, the person who wrote the natural question, which I didn't do. Uh Sorry, Andrew. (laughs) But maybe one day. Even if you found them, they might not remember that they wrote it. I know, exactly. Maybe I did find them. Exactly. (laughs) There's no recollection.
So, John. Hey. You Are you up? I think I'm up. Yeah. This is not a question from any listener or anything. This is just something I found on the internet. And uh, surprise, we've got a fast food mystery. Ooh, whoa. Ooh. We all grew up in the 90s. Were you all Pizza Hut dine-in fans? Oh, yeah, totally. Yes. Oh, is this going to be about the book club? Pizza Hut buffet? Mm-hmm. It was like a special little thing my mom would do with me every once in a while. Take me to the midday Pizza Hut buffet. Yes. They had cinnamon breadsticks. Mm. And they had, I, they, I remember they had like different like super thin crust pizzas that they normally wouldn't have. Stuff like that. You remember what the place looked like though, generally? The roof. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of dark. And there's a website, uh, I believe it's used to be a pizza hut.com. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> is this what your story is about? No, it's not, but it's similar. Yeah, it's such an iconic silhouette that mm-hmm. um, it's recognizable even in like businesses that have taken over old pizza hut locations. <laughs> it's like biz- businesses that have taken over like circuit cities, you know? <laughs> yes. Now yeah. shaped like an outlet. Well, I don't remember exactly where I found this, but. I saw some photos somewhere on the internet of something called Pizza Hut Classic. Is this ringing any bells? No. I saw you post this. I did? Or I think it was you. Maybe you favorited a tweet and I saw it because of that or something. Okay. I'm I'm dropping a link in Slack about this. Yeah, this is what I remember it looking like. So uh, anyone want to read the headline and what's going on here? Uh, the headline says, Warren Pizza Hut reopens as Pizza Hut Classic. And then the subhead is, uh, Warren's Elm Road location underwent a transformation complete with classic logos, checkered tablecloths, and Tiffany-style lamps. The lamps are so good. This is great. This looks like it would smell as if there is a smoking section inside of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a local news source. NBC WFMJ in Ohio. Mm-hmm. So apparently there was a Pizza Hut in Ohio that on September, this was uh, on September 13th, 2019, this Pizza Hut reopened as what they called Pizza Hut Classic. And like the inside of this place, there are photos here. It looks like old Pizza Hut. There are red booths. There are checkered tablecloths on the tables. There are Tiffany lamps that say Pizza Hut on them. Like I remember the old Pizza Hut's having. Mm -hmm. Lots of wood grain. So much wood grain. Carpet. Yeah. This looks like you've stepped into a Pizza Hut that has been, like, well taken care of since, like, 1989. Oh, yeah. The the chandelier is iconic. I'm going to play a video I found of the Warren, Ohio Pizza Hut classic. Oh, yeah. It says a classic is back. A friend of a friend knew someone and went in for the interview. She sat down right then and, you know, hired me on the spot. That was 30 years ago this month. Bob Jukes has been working up the chain at Pizza Hut ever since. Now he's the general manager at the store on Elm Road in Howland. The, the Pizza Classic is something new. We're one of 11, or we're, we were the 11th um, in the U.S. Um, to open as a Pizza Hut Classic now. It reopened as Pizza Hut Classic in September. And if you're from my era, you'll recognize some of the changes. New booth, um, new chairs, new carpet, um, new Tiffany lamps, um, the Tiffany lamps, all the artwork um, has been taken out. Uh, again, the jukebox and the video game. Um, oh, but it's a, 
screen. It's a cocktail arcade machine, but it has an LCD screen in it. That's yeah, yeah. They did a uh, new roof, new signage, um, new pole sign. It has the, the new classic uh, logo on there. Back to the days of the Pizza Hut of the 70s and 80s. And the response has been one for the ages as well. What was the response? You um, said that you very, same people, right? Very good. People come in just to look at it, just to remember, you know, when they were kids. <laughs> Well, that's not really what you want as the owner. <laughs> They're like, we don't want to eat here. We just want to look. Yeah. They come in, they look, they leave. They go to Subway. Here I will show some, I'll share some Instagram pictures of the Warren, Ohio Pizza Hut Classic as well. If you want to click into Instagram there. The roof isn't red. Okay. I do have some oh, of course. complaints here. Okay. Well, they have a large flat screen TV in the corner. I mean, sure. It's killing the vibe. The windows are trapezoidal. Yeah, this was a thing with old Pizza Huts. The windows were not uh, rectangular. They were, they were trapezoidal, yeah. Did the building not have a red roof? No, some of them, a lot of them had gray or black roofs. Yeah, yeah. I was I, that was kind of one of my grievances too. The outside looked a little too modern. I thought, Billy, I, I truly thought you were going to be so excited about this. I am excited, but they ruined it. Oh, wow. <laughs> the arcade machine has an LCD screen in it. They have a large LCD screen in the corner. Okay. I mean, what's up with all these LCD screens? Are they on the hook for with big LCD or something? All right. We still haven't described the photos. It looks like a classic Pizza Hut, but filled with LCD screens. Oh, my God. Oh, and then there's a Book It poster. That's what I thought you were going to be talking about. A Book It poster? Yeah. Isn't, wasn't Pizza Hut, this is my only memory of Pizza Hut, is that, like, there was some sort of, like, book thing with schools mm-hmm. where like if you read certain books this is the only situation where I would go to Pizza Hut is like if I got like enough <laughs> coupons basically for having read the books that I would get like a free personal pizza oh wow yeah this was huge mm-hmm. yeah so from that video you might recall that the manager Bob Jukes said that they were the 11th Pizza Hut classic mm-hmm. in the country to open yeah that's surprising yeah I had never heard of these things and I looked into it. There is no official press release about Pizza Hut Classic. The Pizza Hut website does not list Warren, Ohio as a Pizza Hut Classic. Like, it, there's nothing different about it on the Pizza Hut website. And I found one other YouTube video about any Pizza Hut Classic. This is Ramblin' Backroads with Bo and Ra. We are rolling through Eureka Springs, and we found a Pizza Hut Classic. Yeah. And it is an old school pizza. It looks like one. It smells like one. We're going to check it out. Pizza Hut Classic. I see LCDs. Oh, come on. Everything else is perfect. The The place looks cool as hell, though. Yeah, minus LCD screens. Yeah, okay. Also, it looks like it has a modern HVAC system. I don't know. Billy. What, you, what, you're being absurd. <laughs> I'm joking about that part. Does it have the classic red cups? They do have the, yeah, they have the red okay. tumblers. Okay, yes. That makes up for it. Yeah. So this is in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. So that's another Pizza Hut classic. And if you go into the the comments on this YouTube video, the top comment is, awesome. Thank you so much for this. I've been trying to find out where the Pizza Hut classics are for a couple months now. Anytime you search for Pizza Hut classic anywhere on the internet, it is not mentioned very often, but when it is, and there's a comment section, the comment section is full of people asking where Pizza Hut classics are. There is no definitive list of Pizza Hut classics anywhere on the internet they're not collected they don't seem to be aware of each other the the most common thing people want to know about pizza hut classic is where can i find a list of pizza hut classics there is a reddit post over here and it asks point blank the name of this reddit thread is 
is there a full list anywhere of all Pizza Hut classic locations? And basically the, uh, the comments arrive at no. The answer is no. There is not a list anywhere. There are no press releases. The only news clip I could find anywhere was about Warren, Ohio. It seems like Pizza Hut doesn't want to call attention to these locations at all. It's weird. Hmm. I don't understand why they wouldn't want to call attention to it. Like, it's clearly an investment to do it. This is how I feel. Unless... Unless they, like, are A-B testing. I don't know. And then that that would throw off the test. Or it's a longer game strategy of, like, letting the myth of these trickle out there and trying to create this kind of hype of like where are they how do i find them i just feel like there's no corporation that's good at a strategy like that like a (laughs) subtle let them come to us you know that doesn't translate the the closest thing i could find to like an official acknowledgement of pizza hut classic is this commercial starring the guy who played daryl on the office Oh, yeah. He's in a series of Pizza Hut commercials, and they, like the aesthetic is kind of the same. Man, me and Pizza Hut go way back. I've been playing this game since 82. Ah, uh, see, that one, they have a CRT in. Yeah, no LCD screen in this one. Mm, I mean, who eats dots anyway? I need a variety. So he's sitting in a room that looks inspired by Pizza Hut Classic. Yeah, I see the light. Like, it's got the Tiffany lamps. Yeah, the brick. Uh, he's playing an arcade game. But no mention in this commercial, even of Pizza Hut Classic. It's just a Pizza Hut commercial. So, looking around, from that Instagram post that I shared with you, I found someone who knew a little bit about Pizza Hut Classic. A little bit. So my name is uh, Rolanda Pujol, and uh, by trade, I'm a, I'm a journalist. I'm an executive producer at WABC TV in New York. But on the side, uh, my sort of my avocation is traveling the country, sort of exploring these nooks and crannies of places with overlooked, forgotten uh, roadside Americana. Great hobby. I really thought it was going to be of exploring Pizza Huts. Like, <laughs> no, same. also a great hobby. <laughs> So Rolando has a website, it's called The Retrologist, and he's got an Instagram account that's dedicated to old roadside establishments in the U.S. And I quickly began to realize that these kinds of posts, you know, the old diners and the old uh, McDonald's and these kinds of places, those were the ones that were resonating with people. What what draws you to these things? Like, what is it about the roadside Americana Hmm. that's interesting to you? The wonderful thing about you know, roadside Americana and this kind of nostalgia is that is so many aspects of life intersect, right? I mean, you're talking about architecture, design, culinary history, fashion trends. So much about our history as Americans can be explored by looking at a place that's a time capsule of a particular time and just noticing these, these older places and then really beginning to notice when the mass extinction events began to happen in in the 2000s, when these places began to disappear and places that you took for granted, oh, that place will never go away. It went away. There was just such a development boom in that first decade of the 21st century uh, that I began to realize that, oh my God, these places are incredibly precious. So we're talking about places that are like kitsch, right? Like old retro kitsch mm-hmm. that kind of represents like an older mm-hmm. America. And, th- and what he's saying here about this, this, all these places closing, it tracks with places like Pizza Hut. A ton of Pizza Hut locations began closing dine-in locations in the last 10, 20 years and shifted to pick up delivery. They're doing ghost kitchens. There's like a wing brand that is actually yeah. a Pizza Hut. So 
that's part of what made these Pizza Hut classics exciting. Wait, didn't they already have a wing brand? Wing Street or something? Yeah, that is the wing brand, yeah. That pre-existed Ghost Kitchens, though. Oh, okay. That was like, they started doing like combination Pizza Hut wing streets a while ago. Okay. Billy is the person who writes into Trivial Pursuit. Yeah, I know, I know. Pizza Hut edition. (laughs) So like the fact that these kinds of places close so often is what made Pizza Hut Classic exciting to Rolando. So this is what happened. This is back, I think, in May of 2020. And I was driving up along uh, Route 6 in Pennsylvania. And I see a, a towering Pizza Hut sign with the classic logo, like the 1974 logo, which I know they had brought back in 2019. So to clarify here, this is around the time when Pizza Hut changed their corporate identity and started using a logo and typefaces and imagery that were like way, way closer to what they were using in the 80s and 90s. Recently, they've gone, like Burger King did this too. They've gone back to like a retro looking official logo for Pizza Hut. So like finding this sign on the side of the road, you thought this was part of that campaign. To me, that looked to me more like a sort of a marketing initiative, right? Uh, Where, you know, they would use that logo on their Facebook page and then maybe in flyers and in boxes perhaps, but they weren't going to go through the actual trouble and cost and commitment that comes with changing signage and, you know, redoing architecture at stores. And that's a real commitment, right? And uh, and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, is this an, is this an old one that wasn't touched or, but it says classic. This is new. This is new old. What's going on here? So the the one that he was at was closed for dine-in because this was at the very beginning of the pandemic. But Rolando took a look at the outside, and that is the Instagram post that I had shared with you earlier. Actually, those photos were taken by Rolando. I got some pictures, and it looked to be something that had been just done. There was a, a, a plaque by the door which explained what they were doing. Uh, and each of these Pizza Hut classics has this plaque that that explains like the philosophy of this. Here's the text of that plaque as read by a computer. My brother and I opened the first Pizza Hut in Wichita, Kansas, with nothing but a dream and $600 borrowed from our mother. Since then, we've become one of the world's best-known brands. This Pizza Hut classic celebrates our heritage with a design that's reminiscent of our original dine in restaurants. It reminds us of the Pizza Hut where generations of Americans first fell in love with pizza. We're so happy to have you here. We hope you will fall in love all over again. Dan Carney, founder. A special shout out to Descript for adding the Santa voice this month. (laughs) Oh, I thought I recognized that voice. So Rolando has been to multiple Pizza Hut classics by now, and they are some of his most popular posts. So I've been to the Pennsylvania one, Virginia, uh, North Carolina. I've been to Warren, Ohio. So I've, I've been to four. Are they good? Yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're really cool inside. I've eaten at two of them. You know, it's Pizza Hut, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where, you know, um, did it taste better 20, 30 years ago? I don't know. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. But, you know, it hits, it hits the spot. But Rolando has not been able to find a complete list of locations either. I called Pizza Hut's press line and left a message. I called them again and left another message. I sent them multiple emails. I've gotten no response from Pizza Hut corporate. Wow. Yeah. 
This is a common thing with any time I've tried to... We've hit walls before trying to get in touch with junk food companies. I don't... I think it's like the calculus of them talking to somebody about this kind of thing is like, what do they have to gain? Was this always the case? Or are brands now like increasingly afraid of journalism? It's just so weird that they... I mean, they have like press departments. Maybe they heard my hard-hitting report on the McFlurry and decided that this is not someone to be messed with and they won't answer. Yeah. I think they just, they want to control the narrative, you know? Yeah. What do they have to gain by talking to me about this? So, next I gave... A call to that Warren, Ohio Pizza Hut, the one, the, the oh. only one basically that's... Did you talk to Bob? I did talk to Bob. I wasn't able to do a formal interview on tape, unfortunately. Oh my gosh. I know. But we had a very short conversation. Bob was perfectly friendly about this. His restaurant is part of a pretty big group of Pizza Huts franchised by Hallrich Incorporated. Mm-hmm. They have 124 Pizza Hut locations in Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Indiana. And what Bob explained is that Pizza Hut has been, we know this, they've been closing dine-in locations in the past few years. But here's the interesting thing. For some older restaurants like his that need facelifts, Pizza Hut made the Pizza Hut classic treatment available to them as an option to do as like a retrofit. So apparently it can cost $600,000 to a million dollars to totally like gut renovate an old Pizza Hut to modernize it. Oh, wow. But... If you want to flip it and turn it into a Pizza Hut classic, it could be fifty or $60,000 because they don't modify the building. Oh. Right? So you, would, you wouldn't go modern and then go back. You would go directly from yes. dilapidated to classic. Yeah, so that isn't really the, the, the path that his restaurant had taken. They, um, I didn't remember this at all. There was a thing called Pizza Hut Bistro for a while that was like, more upscale or something. They've done a few facelifts, oh. but the, the the bones of the place have been the same the whole time. So like for these older locations that have the booths and the salad bar and these kinds of things already in, it's like way cheaper to just now they've got this concept of a Pizza Hut classic. You keep all that, you put in new carpet, you reupholster the booths with the vinyl, add the the Tiffany lamps, bring in whatever arcade machines are available and like it is a pretty cheap and quick flip on the place. Huh. Well, it's because they're using LCD screens that are very cheap. Sure, yeah. You don't have to maintain those CRTs. Yeah. But where are these things, right? Bob didn't have a list himself. He doesn't know where the other ones are. He only seemed to know at the time that he was the 11th one. Not <laughs> even... He didn't even have a list of the other ones in the Hallrich group, uh, but he said there were a few of them. Based on what you're saying, it makes sense that these would be in kind of more rural or like more offbeat areas because yeah that real estate would be too valuable in right. like uh like a busy metropolitan area right it would be quickly turned into something else mm-hmm. could i pay to turn my basement into a pizza <laughs> classic i guarantee you could <laughs> but not in an official capacity <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> you, no, you just have to become like a franchise owner. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I don't I think even that. Like, if I could do a GoFundMe for the fifty to $60,000 or whatever you said. Well, this is what the Patreon is ultimately for, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> My basement Getting pizza. Getting there. So Bob didn't know where the other ones are. I spoke to another person at Hallrich. They don't have a complete list of locations. They said they would get back to me about the Hallrich locations, and I haven't heard anything uh, at the time of this recording. So I took it upon myself to seek these out. Over the last like week, 
I've done kind of like a, a red string situation with a bunch of Pizza Hut classics because every time you find one of them posted, the comments usually include someone else who's like, oh my God, there's one of these near me too. I thought it was the only one. Mm-hmm. And they'll list where that one is. And you can kind of follow this as like a web of people comparing notes about Pizza Hut classics and kind of start to develop a list of Pizza Hut classic locations. Nice. Classic research technique. Yeah. So I've spent hours this week on Instagram, Reddit, and YouTube and compiled a list of, what am I up to right now? Uh, 14 confirmed and two that are questionable that I want to look into more because the Google Street View is outdated. Nice. So we're getting close. Like if it was 11 in 2019, I feel like this is getting close to a complete list of locations. Mm -hmm. Wow. What a great public service. Yeah. I'll read out what I've got right now, and I'm assuming that it is not complete. We've got Warren, Ohio, Kilmarnock, Virginia, Bryson City, North Carolina, Tunkahonic, Pennsylvania, Spring Lake Park, Minnesota, Carrizo Springs, Texas, Fairfield, Texas, Eureka Springs, Arkansas, Park Rapids, Minnesota, Dahlonega, Georgia, Clayton, Georgia, Livonia, Georgia, Sayre, Pennsylvania, Wadena, Minnesota, and the two that I need to uh, verify are Bloomfield, Indiana, and Weatherford, Texas. These are great town names. Hard to read, I'll say that. There's like, there's a bunch of states with two in them, some with three in them. Like, I'm curious about just the division of these. I guess maybe it just is like a franchise thing. I'm just, yeah, I'm curious. I think if I were to dig into this more, Mm -hmm. you'd find that these companies, these franchise companies, a few of them have gotten into this as a way to flip stores. Mm -hmm. What's the closest to the New York metropolitan area? Believe it or not, I think it's Warren, Ohio. What? Yeah. Yeah, so it would take three or four hours to get there from where I am. Let's go. I sh- I mean, Omicron is a thing. Yes. Oh, that's true. Yeah. 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 Mm, bummer. We don't have to eat. Remember, some people just walk in. <laughs> just wander the premises. <laughs> yeah, walk in, be like, ah, LCD screens. Let's go. I've seen enough. <laughs> God. So I will put this list on the Under Understood website, and I'll start a thread in our subreddit. I'm sure I'm missing some locations. So, listener, if you live near a real Pizza Hut classic, email us at hello at underunderstood.com. Put a Pizza Hut classic in the subject line or something, and I will add it to our list. And hopefully we can be the source of truth for where these Pizza Hut classics are in the U.S. That's it for Under Understood this year. That's 2021. Thanks for listening. Happy holidays. We have a Patreon and a bonus show that we've done more than 50 episodes. 61 episodes as of this week. Wow, 61 episodes. If you sign up for our Patreon, it's $5 a month. You can immediately listen to all 61 episodes uh, and then unsubscribe. That's fine. Well, that's one way to do the pitch. I mean, if you listen to all 61 episodes, like you've earned it, you get, In a month, you know, yeah. that's, that's mm-hmm. a lot of us. You can unsubscribe. If you have a question that the internet can't answer and you want us to find the answer for you, email us at hello at underunderstood.com. Some of our best episodes have come from listener questions. Definitely. Oh, yeah. And now you can, uh, now you can give us a rating on Spotify, uh, which is cool. You think we can get more stars than Rogan? Uh, well, it caps at five, so... No, I mean, like, a, a higher average. Oh, maybe, yeah. Let's go for it. 
please have a happy new year. Stay safe. Get your booster. And we'll be back next year with more episodes. Bye. Bye.